Good morning, and welcome to Lincoln Square Presbyterian Church. We gather here in God's presence, called and invited to respond to God's goodness. And so I want to welcome you. It's good to be gathering in person and, and say welcome also to those who are joining us online. I trust that by God's spirit that we are united as a body in responding in worship. And so as we begin our service, I just want to take a moment to highlight some announcements. If you look in your order of worship on the inside uh, cover, some information about the service, its length, and kind of some things that we're doing during this time. Uh, also information about children's classes. Um, also then if you flip all the way to the back, the last couple pages are announcements and there's also a place if you are uh, visiting, we're, we're so glad that you're here, you can fill out information there on this last sheet and put it in the offering plate in the back. Uh, also as you are on your way, on the way in on the welcome table, uh, there was a, an information sheet that you could fill out if you'd like to learn more about the church and have a uh, pastor follow up with you. Uh, but a couple announcements to mention that uh, this week on the 18th is uh, um, the a Backyard Concert, and uh, Jody and um, Doug and Katie will be performing in the Curse Lakes Backyard at 7 o'clock on the 18th of August, and uh, it's a great chance just to come and be outside together, uh, you can enjoy uh, bringing, you can bring friends or uh, invite other people from the church to make sure they come. But we'll have some chairs in the church there, but I encourage you also, you can bring along a blanket to sit on the ground or bring your own folding chair. There'll be some water and lemonade and cookies uh, there to share. But uh, that will be in the backyard, and this, that's this coming Wednesday at 7 o'clock. I hope you can come. Um, a couple other things just to mention is that there is uh, information, announcement in the back there about uh, the fall and about discipleship groups and about small groups happening in the church. So there's always all sorts of ways to get involved and grow in your faith. Uh, one thing to note is that the women's Bible study this fall is going to meet on Thursday evenings in the community space. But if you have questions about that or any other ways to get involved in these groups, talk to me or Pastor Brian and we'll help connect you. And those will start uh, sometime in September. Uh, one other thing to mention is that I'm sure that you saw on the news uh, about the earthquake in Haiti. Um, we have a, a mission partner in Haiti called El Shaddai Ministries, uh, ESMI, in which we send medical groups um, to Haiti to work with an orphanage there and different churches. And so some of those churches and orphanages were impacted. We were able to get a report though that um, the one that we worked closely with, there was some structural damage, but all the children and all the staff were okay. So we're very thankful for that. But there will be some information in, in the coming days about ways that we can support them. So please, please keep a, an eye out for that. Um, but I will try also to pass on information that we receive from uh, that ministry. I think that's the, all the announcements I have at this time. Any, any children that are going to go to children's worship or the preschool class, they can go to the back of the sanctuary, to the back door there, and uh, uh, make their way downstairs to the basement. That, that class will um, continue. Those classes will go throughout the whole time of the service and in the same time the worship service does. Well, God's called us to come and to worship, and as we get ready to respond, let's take a moment of quiet to prepare ourselves to come before God. Good morning. Our call to worship today is from Psalm 89. Will you stand with us and we'll sing together.
I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever with my mouth and I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said steadfast love will be built up forever and the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for, your all, for all generations. But now you have cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. yourself forever how long will your wrath burn like fire remember how short my time is or what vanity you have created all the children of man Lord where is your steadfast love of old which by your faithfulness you swore to David remember O Lord how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies ock the footsteps of your anointed Blessed be the, the Lord forever. Amen. Don't do that. 
Please be seated. Let's pray together. Almighty God, you are our true refuge, our steadfast shelter. We seek you and need you and long for you, even when we run from you, even when we wander long and far from you, even when we squander the blessings and the gifts you've given us. You call us home. You are eager to meet us with your disruptive, your lavish grace. As we gather and worship this morning, make us aware of your loving presence. Father, for many of us, it may be hard to come this morning and, and not be distracted by, by difficult news, uncertainties, longings that hover around us. I mean, we pray specifically for Haiti, another devastating earthquake. Father, we pray for the country already bogged down in turmoil. We pray for your mercy upon them. Give them a relief, help them in the days ahead. Uh, we pray for ESMI and the orphanage in Cavagnon. We, we, we give thanks that none of the children and the house moms were injured, but we pray for the resources they need as they assess the damage upon their compound. Protect and provide for them in the coming days. And be with Pastor Donnie and others working to care and to shepherd all of those in the midst of this crisis. Lord, as we continue to hold both weariness, maybe from the virus, from, from polarizing and dis disorienting world we're living in, give us hope. Meet us with all of the delight and wonder and surprise that Jesus' life and death and resurrection bring to our anxious and hungry hearts. We pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, we turn now to our time of confession, and I'm aware that as we come into this time, it's easy for us, maybe like our original father and mother, to, f to, to be afraid of being cast out. And I just want to hold that a little bit, that fear to be cast out, because it also, God meets us with his mercy, with his grace, because Jesus was cast out for us. That frees us up, it allows us to come boldly, it allows us to come freely to this time to bring our sin and acknowledge the ways that we need our God. So we'll do this together as a church and then have a time of quiet personal confession. God of all glory, you look from heaven and see us as we are, stubborn, selfish, rebellious, and often full of anger and doubt. Gracious God, stoop down to save us. In Christ, set us free to love you and to serve our neighbor. Comfort us with your love as our heavenly Father. Amen. my yoke upon you 
Take a moment to quietly confess your sin to God. Gracious God, we are thankful that you came to us in our weakness and our greatest need of rescue. While we were still sinners, you descended into the depths of our sin and death to be in our place and to raise us to new life. We give thanks with joy in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, having confessed our sin, let's stand together and, and say together the words of assurance that come to us from Psalm 37. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Amen. Let's sing together. When peace like a river attended my way,
The Old Testament lesson is Jeremiah 23, verses 1 through 6. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The gospel lesson is from Mark 6, verses 30 through 34. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Gina. It's good to be able to worship together and, and look at God's Word. Um, as you'll see in the note above the sermon passage, we have been uh, doing a sermon series about the benefits of our redemption, and we've looked at how in Christ we have new birth, justification, adoption. Uh, and the benefit we're going to look at today, we one that we might not think about immediately, but the Westminster Confession also identifies that in Christ, one of the benefits is that we are admitted into the church, that we are separated from the world, and welcomed into the people of God, called members 
of God's own household. And now called to learn and to walk together in brotherly and sisterly love. Well, this benefit of being brought in and part of the household could be described as reconciliation. That one of the benefits we receive is God reconciles us to himself in Christ, but also in Christ we are reconciled to one another. So let's look at our passage from Ephesians 2. This is verse 11 through 22 that tells us about this work of reconciliation. You can follow in your order or just listen as I read. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to the God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the home structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is God's word given for our good. Well, before I make our way through the passage, I was going to mention that my family lately, we've been watching a lot of HGTV. <laughs> Maybe some of you have watched some home improvement shows, enjoy watching those different types. So there's all sorts of home improvement shows, different hosts, different formats. But one of the things that they seem to all have in common, maybe you can relate to this or seen this, is the before and after shots, right? There's the before, which is like the sad old house. And then there's the after shot where everything's new and people often are crying and, and you know, saying they can't believe what's happened. No matter what the format, that seems to be a crucial part of the show. And in between, of course, there's the show itself, all the work that happens to transform things from before to what it is after. Well, if you can relate to that or hold that in your mind, they might actually help us understand the, the movement of our passage well, you see that the start there, that Paul talks about a before scene. He tells the people to remember. Remember what it was like before. And then the very flat last few verses can be seen as this kind of after shot of what's happened after all the work. And it's even described in the after shot as being built into this beautiful, beautiful home. A construction project by God and His Spirit. But what happens in between? What happens to go from before to after? And that's at the heart of our passage where Jesus himself is described as our peace. The one who brings peace by the blood of the cross. 
So we're going to move through each of those things briefly and, and see the movement of our passage that Paul starts by telling us to remember, to look back, to see what is before. And do you see how he describes it? You were apart from Christ without hope and without God in the world. Now Paul in this context is addressing specifically Gentile Christians writing into the context where Gentiles and Jews were trying to learn to, to live together as Christians. And so he, he uses some specific categories. Remember, you were Gentiles in the flesh, called uncircumcised by the circumcision, alienated from Israel, strangers to God's promises. But he highlights that you had no hope and that your experience was one of alienation or being apart, disconnected. Now, the Gentiles had many gods, many gods, but they did not know the true God, the God of Abraham, the one who extends grace even to rebellious people, the one who promises steadfast love even in the face of our unfaithfulness, and the one who would reveal his power in the exodus, the power to liberate his people even in the face of evil, sin, and death. And the Gentiles knew power, economic, military, political, but in a world of corruption, the question was, is there anything besides myself and my own resources? You had no hope. You were experiencing being apart. John Calvin, when writing about a life apart from God's grace, he described his experience as a life that is oscillating, going back and forth. He says, we swing back and forth between pride I've made it, I've got this, and despair, I'll never make it, I can't do this. Tossed back and forth, isolated, seeking something solid, Paul invites us, along with those of that day, to remember, remember this condition. But now, do you see how that first section ends? But now... By Christ's blood, you aren't alone. By Christ's blood, you who were far off and on your own have been brought near because God has acted. And now we're brought in to invite it to think about all the work that might happen or that's happened for us to move us from the before to what is new. And that work, that transforming work of God is described here in the second paragraph, you'll see, for Jesus himself is our peace. That's how this transforming work is described. Four times peace is mentioned, and it speaks of true and lasting reconciliation. And this peace has two parts to it, twofold. That Jesus has reconciled us who are far off, reconciled us to God, but also he has reconciled his people to one another stressing that we are now one body, together having access to God by one spirit. I invite you to think about the importance of the church, that we who gather, we are part of the work of Christ. It's not just something personal. It is that, but it is corporate. Jesus himself is our peace. In Christ, the categories of Jew and Gentile have been transcended. A new identity that 
includes both groups but is larger than both groups has been established by the cross of Jesus. And I want to take some time to ask how, for our passage invites us to reflect on how this has happened. That Paul writes that Jesus broke down the dividing wall of hostility. He abolished the law with its commandments. He created one new humanity, one new body out of two. He reconciled us both to God through the cross, killing the hostility. There's a couple thoughts that we can take from this, this work that Jesus does to transform. The first one is that the cross makes us equal through grace. The cross makes us all equal through its grace. You see what we're reading here, all those gathered, in this case highlighting Gentile and Jew, but we can see in other places in Paul's letters, rich and poor, male and female, those who are powerful in the culture and those who are weak. All of us are equally guilty and condemned before the law of God. And all of us are in need of God's grace. So therefore, on the cross, Jesus unites us to God, atoning for our sins and giving us His righteousness. And therefore, part of what the cross does when it removes the hostility is it it removes any place for pride or any place for our boasting. It tells us that we have a common story. Whether you grew up near or grew up far from these truths, no matter who you are or your background, our common story, the cross says, is that we are sinners those who have been hurt in this world and those who have hurt others. And we have no hope in ourselves to overcome that which is the reality that we face in us and around us. Therefore, we must be rescued by a gracious God who enters and takes on himself our sin and death and suffering. Therefore, the cross proclaims that there are no levels of righteousness in the church There's no different levels of acceptance in God's people. All of us have a place in the body that is equal because it rests on the same thing, Christ and his work for us. See, that's what Jesus says when he creates one new person, one new body out of the two. He's making a new humanity, a new creation, stressing that this is a work of God not a work of our own. And this new humanity transcends all other sources of identity, all ways that we might grab to lift ourselves over another. So the cross makes us equal through grace, but another thing that it does is that the cross disrupts the hostility of lifting one culture over another of lifting one tradition over another. There's much we could talk about this, but what we see here is that Jesus abolishes the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinances. And what what that means is that Christians, this is part of the, the early church wrestling with the gospel, that those welcomed in Christ did not have to keep the Mosaic dietary practices. 
They did not have to keep purity laws or special religious celebrations, meaning no longer did circumcision, no longer did food laws or purity laws, no longer were they the judge of your religious seriousness. No longer were they the criteria to determine your place in God's family. See, the new humanity was not achieved by turning Gentiles into Jews or Jews into Gentiles, but creating a new identity that transcends all in Christ. So our cultures, our traditions, cannot be used to keep others out of the church or in some way make them lower-class citizens in it. Of course, God has many things to say to the cultures of the world. When the gospel enters, it seeks to renew and to reform. But we have to be mindful that the cross challenges our temptation to say that the way I or my group do things is the right way. It challenges our tendency to make our experience the absolute or creating a wall of hostility for others. Now, as you hear this, I imagine what might come to your mind is that the church has failed at this. Over and over again, we have fallen short in this calling to take hold of the gift that Christ has given to us in the unity of the Spirit. In particular, in the, the Western culture has often enthroned itself as the right or the superior way, looking down or dismissing other cultures even telling others to be a Christian, to be a really a Christian, you must become like me or do things like me. You see here in the unity of this gift, we're reminded through the cross that God's kingdom has no official language, no one dress, no one food, and no one culture. And we're invited to imagine what we hear in Revelation when we see all of God's people gathered together before God. And Revelation says, Behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes, all peoples, and all languages, standing before the throne and the Lamb, clothed in white robes and waving palm branches in their hands. This vision invites us to the work of God, going out into the world, into all places, and gathering a people all united in Christ. Therefore, as we think about the dividing lines around us and in us, let us repent and think again by God's Spirit what it might mean for us individually or a church to, to enter into the reconciliation and gift that Jesus has accomplished. Well, this is the work of Christ, and it brings to the final part the aftershots, the, the excitement of a new house. Just in brief, what we can ask, what has changed? You remember those? Remember, you had no hope. You were alone without God in the world. But here we're concluded by saying that in Christ, because of his work of reconciling, you are citizens and members of God's household. You're part of God's temple being built in the world. In Christ, you no longer have no hope. You no longer are alone. You no longer are called a stranger, no longer an outsider, but you are a family member of God. Not because you've checked all the boxes, but because of Christ being your peace, 
Christ himself your peace. The temple in Jerusalem was the heartbeat of the people of Israel. It was a place of pilgrimage, but maybe above all those things, at the heart of the temple, why it was so important as a building? Because of the promise of God that he would dwell with his people by his spirit in the temple. This is a place where you can see who God is and dwell in his presence. And Paul invites us to a vision, this construction project of God, a temple being built in the world, not by stones, but by people, a, built, a temple made of people united together in Christ, saying that this is how God will dwell in this world. If we want to see what God is like, then look at the church and how Christ is uniting people together in a new way. This is our calling, and this is the benefit and gift that Christ gives to us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are and this wonderful work that you've done. Creation that does not rest in us, but is done by you. We that you help us to live as your household, your family members, and that we may, in a new way, learn to welcome our brothers and sisters, especially those who are different or far off from us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us, please, and we'll sing together.
praise you for your everlasting goodness toward your people. For what do we have that is not a gift from you? And now we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven in the unending hymn. God's word, we're now invited to the table that God sets for his people. During this time, we're participating in communion through the, uh, these prepackaged elements. Then if, if you're participating in communion, does anyone uh, need one? <laughs> okay. Anybody else need one? Okay. Well, I invite you to go ahead and prepare those. You can open those and be prepared to participate in communion together. Oh, sorry, Ellen. There you go. <laughs> you thought I was ignoring him. <laughs> prepare those. Well, Christ invites us to come to the the table, the table of the household of God. In John, we hear that as part of Jesus gathering his disciples, he washed their feet. And after washing his disciples' feet, he invites them to do the same. Addressing the question, how will people know that you are my follower? How will the world know that you're a Christian, part of the household of God? And he says to them, they'll know by the way you love one another. As I have loved you, therefore love one another. This table is an invitation for us to rest in something solid, the love of God in Christ. But it's also a call that we would grow in our love for our brothers and sisters here and throughout our city and throughout this world. If you are a follower of Christ, if you know of your need before God and put your faith in Christ, then this table is for you invite you to come. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, let this table be a sign and invitation to know who God is and the nature of his family. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this table. We thank you that you set apart this bread and cup, things that we can hold and taste and see that speak about you and your kingdom. We pray, Lord, as those who swing back and forth between pride and despair, that we would find true and lasting rest in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, he took the bread and broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Christ's body was broken make us whole. Let us eat in faith. In Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith.
Well, I invite you to stand with me that we can respond to the table and receive God's blessing. Lord Jesus Christ, help us to imitate your kindness to the outsider, your affection for the lost, and your desire to please only your Heavenly Father as we proclaim the mystery. Christ has died. Christ is The love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. You may go in peace.